Welcome back to Hair Metal Memories. We are your hosts. I am Brian. And I'm Aaron. And as always, please feel free to reach out to us and send us any messages or emails. We're at hairmetalmemoriesiowa at gmail.com, or you can message us on our Facebook page. Um, this time I wanted to start out with, uh, we, we do get some messages from you guys, and it's awesome, so keep it coming. This time we have a listener question from our friend BJ in Columbus, Ohio. Um, in our last episode, Aaron mentioned that the sequencing of the Jafria album seemed off. Uh, like, because we were talking about like the order of it, how it could have been a better album if it would have been sequenced. And she was curious who actually makes those decisions. You know, that's a good question. I think the band has a fair amount of input in it, but yeah. you know, it, it seems like if you're on a major label, there's a really good chance it's a it's a hybrid of you know what the what the band wants, and then um, right. You know, when you're when in, when you're on one of those big labels, they can be like, "Well, we think this should be here, and we think right. or something." So, yeah, I'm guessing during this time period, the labels had a lot of clout with that. So, I I, I wonder if it's like the A and R person, maybe it could be. Yeah, the per- I think it could also be directly yeah. proportional to how many sales you had previously. Like, True. Your, you know, right. your first record, you may not get as much pull, but somebody right. like uh, say by the time Def Leppard's making Hysteria, no, that they probably right. got to pick all that. They probably got to pick that. You're right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I thought that was a really good question, a very interesting question, though, because uh, my guess is the answer is that it varies depending on the cloud of the band. But I know the labels were a lot more powerful during that time period. And so, like, if they thought they heard a hit, they wanted to put it, you know, towards the beginning of the album and stuff like that, which is probably what happened with Jafria. They probably said, like, hey, these are the these are the good ones. Put these first, you know, and, and these are the most must have been. Yeah, these are the most accessible ones or whatever. Um, I mean, because while the, the all, you know, all the guys in that group were successful to some extent one right. way i think one way or the other i don't know that they were like yeah they probably huge. they probably had to listen to the label yeah <laughs> so i'm guessing in that case it was the label <laughs> that, that would be my guess yes <laughs> um uh another listener jim cost sent us pics from his cd collection uh which i thought that was really cool he's like, yeah that was cool yeah like lots of uh um like every version of a poison cd and uh and lots of like bullet boys cds and stuff like that with all the variations and stuff uh so you know he's a collector it sounds like um please send us those pics if you have any pics of your collection if you want send us we love that shit i mean that's really cool oh, yeah it's super cool <laughs> that's a lot of what we do too is uh, end up collecting some of this stuff and uh you know talking about it and that's why we're here so um we also still have stickers so message or email us your address and we'll send you one we've sent out a couple like since the last podcast um so keep coming um in some other news i saw there's a new scorpions tune out did you see that i did see that it was out there i follow mickey d on on facebook okay and uh, i saw he posted something about it i haven't listened to the song yet yeah it's a song called peacemaker um, and it, I thought it was pretty good. It reminded me of Scorpions of Old, where it, it seemed well, cool. It seemed more like they're rocking out. And I and I so I looked up, and their, their new album's called Rock Believer, which I thought, and it comes out in February. Um, but you know, long long story short, I, that based on the one song, Peacemaker, I, I thought it kicked ass. I thought it was pretty good. It's like well, sort cool of like, deal. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean. I, I know that maybe some of the last few albums of theirs haven't been as rapturously received as right. some others, maybe. But um, <laughs> right, yeah, I kind of wondered if they were a spent force, maybe, as they say. But like, uh, I'm optimistic for them. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but today's album is uh, that we're going to do this episode is Twisted Sister's classic Stay Hungry album. Hell yeah. I've been looking forward to this one for a We've while. We've been talking about yeah. this one since season one. <laughs> yeah, I think exactly. it was on our original slate of ones we want to talk about. It was, yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it sucks we're just getting around to it, but you know, life happens. Um, it came out May 10th, 1984. 
It's sold over 3 million copies. Um, the song We're Not Gonna Take It was a big hit off of there. It was a uh, number hit number 20, 21 on the U.S. charts. And uh, I Want to Rock hit 68 uh, on the charts. So they had a couple hits off of it. Um, it was the band's third album and by far their most successful. Um, and it's another one that shows the uh, vast difference going into the 80s of... Um between like chart success and MTV yep. video success, uh-huh. because yeah, like you said, I want to rock me at the sixty-eight. Uh-huh. Whereas it's like one of the iconic early eighties videos. Yeah, it is. So I don't know. I it's right. It really highlights that difference, you know. <laughs> I mean, because you, you're just starting to get into a time where people will make a video for a song, but they won't necessarily release it as a single. Right. Yeah. And so it, yeah, they are. Um, one of the early steps in that that sort of shift. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it was a top ten album. So, I mean, it was a big deal. Um, at its peak, Stay Hungry sold 78,000 units in one day. I thought that was an interesting statistic. And in July of 1984, it outsold all Warner Music artists except for Prince. Holy crap. And 1984, I believe, was Purple Rain. So, yes, it was. So they were in; they were being spoken of in the same paragraphs as Purple Rain. So that's that's you know that's pretty good stuff. Um, metal Rules ranked it the album number five on their list of top fifty glam metal albums. In 2016, Loudwire ranked it at number six on their list of the top thirty hair metal albums. And in 2017, Rolling Stone listed it at number 76 on its list of the 100 greatest metal albums of all time. Great, greatest metal albums of all time, I might, I don't know. <laughs> I guess I didn't necessarily think about it as yeah. metal necessarily, yeah. but yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I don't mean that to slag it or anything. No, no. Yeah, yeah. so it, it, it has, you know, lots of accolades and stuff. Um, the singer, Dee Snyder, he grew up singing in church choirs. And he went to the All-State Chorus because he was such a good singer. I, yep, and he ended up being part of like the uh, like the Eastern Seaboard 300 Choir of the Best Singers and stuff. I just watched oh, some. Wow. He was okay. talking about it in an interview I read yeah. or watched today. <laughs> yeah, so the guy is a legit singer. I mean, and he is the rock star of the band for sure. Clearly. Like, yeah. <laughs> he, he joined Twisted Sister in 1976. Um, and became the band's sole songwriter. So he was the writer for all this stuff. He wrote every song on Stay Hungry. Um, they released their first album, Under the Blade, in 1982. And that developed a UK following for them. But in less and that's than, a badass song. That song, Under yeah. the Blade, is fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. And in less than a year, they released their second album, uh, You Can't Stop Rock and Roll. And then, uh, then Dee Snyder adopted that drag persona that you see him in now with all of the makeup and with the beauty mark and, you know, lots of lipstick and rouge and all that stuff. He kind of got into the glam thing. And, uh, that was when stay hungry, that was the stay hungry period where he really got to be kind of a character. You know, they put out a good album and like he, he got to be like a character in rock and roll. Um, another interesting thing is, uh, he came, he became sort of a target, um, for like censorship and stuff because the name Twisted Sister was it scared people a little bit, you know, and the yeah, you know, and on the cover of Stay Hungry, he's got this huge bone and you know, he's looking pretty, pretty weird and savage. Um, so that he got called in, um, with Frank Zappa and John Denver, um, to go to the PMRC. I've watched those hearings a number of times. It's it's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> it's pretty hilarious, yeah. And you know, and what an odd trio that is uh, of people. You know, 
I was like, maybe I was thinking like, you know, maybe they secretly recorded an album and it'll come out someday. Oh, that'd be now. fantastic. But I know, I know it was funny because like the PMRC people just assumed yeah. that John Denver would be on their side. And he's like, no, nah, right. All right. Right. <laughs> Right on, yeah. John Denver. Thank you. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember what for for like our younger listeners what PMRC stands for. It's like the, the Parental, Parental Music Resource Center. Yeah, yeah. They were trying to get albums censored. Is the idea um, a and, whole bunch of people who had nothing better to do? Yeah, and uh, and the the when they they're testifying, um, they were successful in avoiding censorship labels on albums, um, and they wanted to label records with warnings specifically for violence, the occult, sex and drugs so it would have like a letter for each one of those things and and i liked how the occult was one of them (laughs) that's hilarious and the great thing about one of them landing on the parental advisory explicit lyric sticker they helped sell so many records having that thing yeah oh my god i was of a very impressionable age and if i was in a store and i saw that sticker i'm like well i should get that album clearly exactly it's like (laughs) let me know which ones to check out sweet yeah yeah, but they talked them down, so they didn't do that really stupid, specific version of censorship. And uh, they got just the generic parental advisory stickers that we all know and love. <laughs> uh, the, after, after Stay Hungry, the band kind of fizzled out. Um, and it's another one of those stories where, you know, Stay Hungry sold like millions of copies, and then the follow-up sold half a million copies, and that was deemed a failure. So. Didn't you love it in an area where you could sell a half a million records and be uh-huh. considered a failure? Yeah, it was. That's so interesting. Um, and D. Snyder eventually went broke in 1994. He was riding his bike to an office job and answering phones, and it, which kind of made me sad. It's like you know he spent that's all his money and you know all that stuff. You go from super successful to like you know nothing. Um, he started hosting a radio show called The House of Hair which ended every episode with the catchphrase, if it's not metal, it's crap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty which, sure that was on one of our local stations here, even. <laughs> I just thought that was an interesting catchphrase. It's not, it's metal, not metal, it's, it's crap. crap. <laughs> uh, uh, and he wrote the song, The Magic of Christmas Day, God Blesses Everyone, which Celine Dion recorded. I did just find that little fact too, and apparently she had no idea who it was who wrote yeah. it originally, and yeah. just did it. And yeah, so I he's mean, just like, no need to tell her; just keep those checks coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I thought that was kind of interesting. He wrote us, you know, he wrote a song that Celine Dion. So he's because well, uh, originally it yeah. was a gift to his wife. Mm-hmm. She had requested him write her a Christmas song for her Christmas present, and he's like, sure, yeah, no problem, I'll do that. And yeah, then. Here we are today yeah. with yeah. it being done by Celine Dion. Yeah, so the guy's not a slouch in the songwriting department. You know? <laughs> so he looks at the camera and he's like, you will not speak ill of Celine Dion in front of right, D. Snyder. Right. Fair enough, dude. <laughs> uh, he was one of the voices on SpongeBob SquarePants, which I didn't know. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, and he, and he's done shit tons. I don't want to belabor too much of all this, but, uh, he did shit tons of TV and radio appearances. And he's in a video game too. And now I've forgot oh, yeah. what video game it was. I read that as one of the credits, like some PlayStation uh, game or something. And so he's basically kind of a professional host. He's like hosted tons of radio shows and TV shows and stuff. And he's also been like a professional guest. Uh, you know, he was on the apprentice and things like that. Um, he shows up all over the place. Um, 
and and I didn't find a whole lot of information about like the rest of the band. But uh, uh, one thing I thought was kind of interesting is that the, one of the guitar players, JJ French, was the band's manager early on until and 19, he still to this day uh, oversees yeah. their like uh, yeah. licensing and intellectual stuff. Yeah, and he picked it up back in 1988, and he's been their manager ever since. And uh, he's a Grammy voting member. So he's like he's you know by managing a really successful band he's become a member of the Grammy community, and he signed and produced the band that would eventually become Seven Dust, which is which a huge I do success. remember finding that yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> was successful there yeah and he writes a business column for Inc dot com you know that magazine Inc I N C it's a, it's, oh it's a business, right it's a straight up business magazine and he and writes, he writes for them he writes for that yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and he he writes some other uh, articles too. He writes like music columns for things, and he writes he's got a book about business and stuff out. So he, I mean, he's been a player definitely in the industry. Um, Stay hungry was engineered by Jeff Workman. Yeah, I looked him up too. Yeah, this guy's got some credentials. He has a lot of them, yeah. and uh, apparently John Lennon used to eat at his house when he was a child. Yeah. And uh, and when the Beatles formed, John asked Jeff's band, The Feel Goods, to open. Like when they were when they're playing in Germany and Hamburg and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah th- th- this guy um, that engineered their album, uh, this engineered this Twisted Sister album, used to open for the Beatles. I thought that and was he also crazy. worked as a fill-in during the Court of the Crimson King sessions. Mm-hmm. Yep, I was excited about that. Uh, he worked on. He got to work on a couple of King Crimson albums. So I was like, hell that, yeah, that, that hits home for me. I'm a huge King Crimson guy. Yeah, but he he worked with the Cars and Queen and Journey, Foreigner, Toto, Motley Crue. He was a protege of uh, Roy Thomas Baker, which you know I knew. With, you know, some of those names I think were Roy Thomas Baker um, produced records. Yep, um, definitely Queen. You know, but like. Um. Yeah. So. So they got a really good guy engineering the album. And my least favorite '80s producer produced it. <laughs> yeah. Tom I mean, don't granted, he was way more yeah. successful than I was in any sort of musical yeah. medium. So I mean, he yeah. clearly made better choices than I did. But yeah, like I don't yeah. know. Uh, he, in color and black and white from Cheap Trick is like one of their my right. least favorite productions of theirs. Is that the one with the flame on it? No. Oh, okay. No, that's... No, uh, In Color is the one with I Want You to Want Me, like the studio oh, version. okay. Yeah, the, the production okay. on that album is just really okay. soft yeah. for a band that could, like, rock hard like Cheap Trick. But. Yeah, Tom Tom Werman, is, uh, his, protru- his production style is described as very polished by everybody. And he's yes. Got, he's got 23 gold and platinum records. Um, so, so, I mean, certainly yeah. he's successful at what he does. Yeah. So, in a way, it reflects poorly on us as a society. Yep. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, and he yeah. hasn't he hasn't produced anything since two thousand and one. He retired. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but he did Blue Oyster Cult and Motley Crue, Striper, Kicks, L.A. Guns, Poison. So, you know, all of which have pretty slick sounding albums. I guess now that I think about it, I'm trying to remember <laughs> if he, if he's the one who produced the Dawkins album that we talked about. Could be, but now I don't remember. Yeah, because you know, yeah. We've talked about a lot of things. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <It's> certainly <laughs> Things come and go. Sometimes we have beers while we record. Yeah. I'm not trying to yeah. spill any trade secrets or anything. But. Yeah. Uh, Stay Hungry was mastered by George Marino, who did the 7-inch version of Hey Jude for the Beatles, which that kind of knocked me out, too. Their mastering engineer mastered a late-era Beatles album when their album sounded really good. And I um, guess he became one of the owners of Sterling Sound. Oh, really? Which is like one of the... Uh, I mean, I can't tell you how many records, you know, when you're sitting there cataloging your collection on Discogs, I'm like, oh, this was a Sterling record. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, one of the few studios that has, like, uh, 
or it was one of the first surround mastering studios, oh, and he's okay. one. I think t- to this day, it's one of the few uh, mastering studios on the planet that that is set up to do both surround and vinyl. Oh wow! Okay, that's that is a weird combination. That'd be an expensive combination, I think, to set up. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, um, but he also mastered uh, American Pie for Don McLean, uh, Billion Dollar Babies, you know, that and that's Alex a killer Miller. record. Yeah, Talking Book and Intervisions for Stevie Wonder. Um, he's done Zeppelin and Guns and Roses, and just I mean, on and on. So that, so it's mastered by like one of the best people in the business. Um, so that's a, that's a heady pedigree, and uh, to add to their to their accolades on their first tour, Metallica was their opening band. I remember I remember uh, reading an interview with D, and he was talking about how when they would be out there playing, he's like, "Oh man, these guys are going to own us." Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, and they got to open for Judas Priest and Iron Iron Maiden too, which I thought was pretty cool. Pretty freaking sweet. Yeah, and there's a little bit of like a crossover there where they tried to do um, several of the members tried to work with some of the Iron Maiden guys because they hit it off really well on the tour together and stuff. Yeah, uh, D had approached uh, Yannick Gers yeah, about yeah. about doing something together when D went solo. Yep, and it ended up not working out because he D wanted him to wear makeup and stuff like that, and he's like, "No, I'm not doing that, man. I'm an Iron Maiden." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, so it goes. Yeah. Uh, and and another thing that was interesting is t- in 2004 they re-recorded the whole album. I remember hearing about it when it happened. Yeah. I've never heard it. I um... and they called it Still Hungry. Um, and their goal was to try to make it less polished sounding. Um, I mean, that's cool. Yeah. And, and I, I listened to it um, and I thought it's subtle. I mean, it kind of works, but I also like I found myself I'm just so used to the sound of it, you know, regardless of whether. And that's ultimately the problem, isn't it? Right. You know, you get used to it hearing yeah. it a certain way. And Yeah. I'm glad they did it because they probably it was probably bugging them and they felt like they got, you know, vindication. Well, it's or the something. same thing. Uh, Cheap yeah. Trick did that with the In Color and Black and White album. Oh, did they? they uh, okay. In like '96 or '97 or something, they re-recorded it with Steve Albini at the helm. Oh wow! And then they opted not yeah. to release it. They were like, "No, we just kind of wanted our oh, just for own ourselves. little document of it." And yeah, wow. Well, I mean, I've had a, I have a bootleg of it. I've heard yeah. it. It's awesome. Yeah, but, but that'd, be, uh, that'd be cool. I'd like to hear Cheap Trick through Albini ears. <laughs> oh, dude, it's fantastic. <laughs> um, so does this pass the hair metal smell test? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of a little, I don't know, lately I've been on the fence, I feel like, every time with with the albums. But, like, this one is another, you know, they they were going for a glam image, but I don't hear a lot of that in their music, you know? No, it is, it is kind of funny, because uh, one of the things I was thinking about was how, like, even uh, compared to, like, a lot of the other what we're going to call hair rock, glam rock of the 80s, yeah. like, these tunes don't sound like typical ones. They no. sound like they come from somewhere else entirely. They do. And of course, this yeah. isn't, you know, we've talked yeah. about, like, a lot of, like, Sunset Strip type stuff. Yeah. And, and stuff like that. And this is very much not of that no, this is time East and place. Coast it's and, East Coast, New yeah. York, a band from the 70s who finally right. made it big, you know. Yeah. So it, it's, it just has a way different feel. Yeah, it does. Top to bottom. Uh, yeah. The other thing I one of my one of my thoughts about it was how you know a, a lot of the other albums we've talked about have a lot of uh, shall we say you know songs about chicks right and that's right. like not a thing on this record there's really. nothing like that at all on this record yeah you're right and it, it, it's funny how many times I've listened to this and it still didn't really occur to me until I sat down to be like well, I'm gonna think about this and write my little notes and yeah. it's like wow there's not like a lot of yeah. 
Yeah, songs not, about not, girls. Yeah, and they don't have like a, like they have very capable guitar players, but they're not like rock god guitar players. No, they're they're, like, they're uh, very good solos for very good yeah. guitar players. They just like no, nah, we just, it's not about the yeah. fireworks. It's about making the song as yeah. good as it can be. Yeah, they're very compositionally based sorts of you know solo things, and and they're short, you know, and they don't do that. The thing that we talk about in most of the hair metal bands is uh they don't where they have the bridge that has the solo. They don't, and it changes keys or it's a different part or something. They don't do any of that. Nah. They, they always solo over like a verse or a chorus or something, you know, like normal people. Um, like normal people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are your memories of this album? Um, my first memory of it is is gonna uh, would be Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Okay, uh, nice, yeah. Because I love that love that movie as a kid. Yeah. Still love it to this day. Uh, as soon as that sequence hit where they're in the car, I was like, "What song is this? Yeah. Oh my god, this is so good!" Yeah. And uh, then when I was a kid and finally like had a bike and I could, was going and buying tapes at the at the store, I went to uh, Archives on Hayward. Oh yeah, I and I bought story. a tape of Stay Hungry and took it home uh-huh. and was like. Wow. I mean, yeah. I, I was even like full in yeah. to like, this would have been like 91, 92. So I probably already, already would have had stuff that was moving beyond like glam rock in my taste. But I was still like, dude, this album's fucking killer. Like, <laughs> And then I kind of forgot about it for a while. Uh-huh. Uh, but then um, me and a friend had gone to uh, Nashville for the weekend Mm-hmm. And I was at a record store there, and they had a still sealed original pressing of it. And it was only like five bucks because oh, yeah. this was in the early two thousands, and the vinyl boom hadn't taken off again. So That's I was right, like, yeah. "All right, yeah, I'll buy this." And yeah, and, and Twisted Sister had fallen way out of favor by oh, that time. <laughs> so far, yes, and so yeah, I've I've at least known about it since it was r- relatively new ish. But not, yeah. I didn't I didn't own it until a couple of years later. But uh, so yeah, I've been a fan. How about you? Yeah. Uh, this is one, uh, when the videos came out, I was there, I was in high school and, uh, so I ran out and I bought the tape and listened to it endlessly over and over again. So, um, I was kind of thinking about it, uh, like most of the other albums that we've done, my memories of them are more like college, like right when I first went to community college. So this is the first one that I remember liking in high school. Well, Def Leppard, I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 But like, uh, I thought that was kind of interesting because like in, when I was in high school, it wasn't, you know, I hadn't started playing guitar or anything at that point. And so I wasn't analyzing things. I could just, you know, listen, oh, wow, that sounds badass and cool guitars. And, and I hadn't, I wasn't really noticing that kind of thing. But when I started playing guitar in college, that was mostly the bands I was drawn to, of course, because I was like, you know, imagining in my head, what if I could be that good someday? Oh, hell yeah. Be the pyrotechnic guitar hero. Yeah. Uh, But that's kind of another thing where, you know, like I mentioned before, they don't have like the big guitar hero moves as much in this band. Uh, But I, I still loved it just because the songs were so good you know and i liked absolutely their, i liked their image i thought their image was cool the videos were they were funny um i had just discovered animal house you know in high school and and loved that movie to death and watched it over and over again and when i saw you know niedermeyer in the videos i was sort of like wow that's so cool they're referencing animal house pretty <laughs> awesome <laughs> um let's dig into the album yeah let's do it um it's the whole album as a whole. I think it's very anthemic and motivational. Yeah, it's like, I, 
Yeah, there's lots of get off your butt and go do something with your life vibes. You know, <laughs> notably different once again yeah. than a lot of the other stuff we talk yeah. about. Like this whole the whole vibe of the album is different. Yeah, it really is. It's strange. It's, it's very, but it's also very anti-authority and, and very anti-authoritarianism. I mean, it's like you know, it's against like people being in charge. It's like you know, all about you know your own will to power kind of stuff. And um, and it's also it's just shy of thirty-seven minutes, so it's really tight. I that's the other thing because you know I don't think this is I don't think it's the first like sub forty minute album we've talked about mm-hmm. but it's the but it did feel like it just flew by it did it does fly by you know I mean it's it's paced it's sequenced very well yes it is <laughs> it is sequenced brilliantly they clearly had like sides in mind and the flow right. of them and it's funny because the other thing I was noticing is that like the two big songs are like. <laughs> Kind of outlier sounding within the context of the album. Yeah, they are. You're I right. mean, they're still totally rad, but like the right. whole rest of the album is like so much darker and like yeah, you know, muscly and yeah, yeah. I think they're two big hits. Uh, much like Quiet Riot, um, uh, they kind of like rip a page from Slade. Like, yeah, like the two big hits kind of they they remind me of Slade, and then everything else doesn't. <laughs> yeah, that's yes, that's exactly yeah. correct. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that before, but that kind of, yeah. Uh, we start off with Stay Hungry, um, and this might actually be my favorite song on the album. <laughs> my note was, this is how you fucking open a right. record. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I used to listen to this song over and over again, um, you know, as, as a wee lad, and uh, and it's the one I had run through my head just on, you know, on and on, and even, even when I was popping it on listening for this, I was just like, you know, right away, I was just like, oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> um. It's very motivational lyrics. Uh, there's a decent guitar solo section. Uh, you know, it's like definitely in that more worked out and compositional mode. I honestly didn't um, know that they kind of traded off between who did leads uh, yeah. until I was I was kind of like looking at the sleeve as I was listening. And there's like a yeah. couple songs that have like the dual leads. But yeah. then like, yeah, I, I, I didn't know really who handled which one and yeah yeah i hadn't thought about it before listening to it this time either but like uh yeah when i listened to it i listened to it on my i listened to it on headphones this morning actually and i noticed they're in different ears so like in the solos like part of the solo starts in like you know pan to the left and then the, the there's like a call and response thing where it's pan to the right that's what you get on like yeah. the slayer records when they do their trading off yeah yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of cool um, there aren't any really like huge musician moments, but I love the song so much. I just wanted to play like a minute of it. Oh, hell yes. <laughs> so here, just to set our tone. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we played this clip because I was sitting down to play my record and listen to it as mm-hmm. I, you know, do when we do these. And uh, 
you know, my, my, my stylus is a brand new stylus and everything. And I was mm-hmm. playing this song. I'm like, there's some weird fuzz on the top end. Is there, is it is there something wrong with my needle or something like that? And like, no. Mm-hmm. And, but I can hear it on this digital copy of it too. So I know it's not my record. <laughs> okay. My record is no worse pressed than anything else. Cause at first I was like, man, I got a really bummer ass pressing of this. I need yeah. to go buy a new copy. Yeah. But, uh, I could hear it in the left channel on some of the splashes and the higher notes. You can hear some, di- you can hear some, and I'm okay. like, okay, so that's just in the master. Okay. Oh, now I feel wow. better. Okay, oh. good. <laughs> you don't have to go by Still Hungry now to get the... <laughs> right. Although there is, there is a, well, I guess we will get to it in another section, but there is a remastered edition of this. Oh, that's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I saw they put out like a... For like the edition. 30th anniversary, I yeah. believe it was. Yeah. Uh, and then we follow up Stay Hungry with We're Not Gonna Take It, which was the big hit with the great video. My note was, um, yeah, we know this one. Yeah. Yeah. Also very motivational and anthemic. Um this was the video specifically mentioned in the PMRC hearings because it depicts violence against parents and teachers. Oh, my. Yeah. It was in their list called the Filthy 15 videos. Filthy. Yeah. Um, this was filthy to people it was in 1984. Filthy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. dude, Pink Flamingos came out in, yeah. the, in, in way before this, and that was yeah. filthy. <laughs> yeah, there was a weird sort of like way too much clean, clean, and, and pr- just straight up prudery during. It's like Reagan era kind of yep. stuff, you know. Um, but uh, uh, this song's been covered tons of times and used in everything from commercials to political campaigns. Um, yeah. Yeah, and we've all heard it, so, like, yeah. And I love the fact that the solo is literally just the vocal melody line know, played on the guitar. It That's is. That's awesome. Well, it except is. for the little... Yeah, but, at know. the end, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then we've got Burn in Hell. Um, and, and I kind of feel like D. Snyder's trying to go for Ozzy vibes here a little bit. My uh, my note on this song was, it's perfection. Yeah, yeah. This is a great tune. I love this um, song. Yeah, D. Snyder has said that he was raised Christian, and you can kind of see that in the lyrics. I thought, as yeah, as yeah. evil as it sounds, you know, you get a title "Burn in Hell," and he sings it kind of like mean and stuff. Um, it's mostly just saying that you should be a good person or suffer the consequences. Is really what the message yeah. of the song is, I think. Um, and this is the tune that you mentioned, the Pee Wee's Big Adventure. This is the tune that they were playing. They were they were yep. pretending to film a video for this song. And um, I liked that the video was like <laughs> them in a car with a bunch of girls. Right. It so doesn't line up with the song at all. Right. <laughs> Which is just even better. Yeah. That's the genius of Tim Burton back when he was like firing on all pistons. Um there's a chant section at the end of this that I thought was really cool. Uh, and so I wanted to play that just because yes. I think it's pretty cool. That section is so awesome. <laughs> um, then we have Horror Terria, the beginning. This is uh, the longest song on the album because it's a suite of two songs put together. And it is kind of funny because I, I, I don't. There's not. It doesn't seem like there's a, like a like a 
thematic through line or anything. It's just two songs that are together, but whatever. They're great songs. So I right. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I wondered if, because uh, in the, the first section of the song is the Captain Howdy section. Yeah. And so Captain Howdy is like, you know, you know, doing something bad with little kids and, you know, presumably killing them and stuff like that. And then the second section is street justice, which is like um, where they talk about a guy killing a kid and getting away with it. So I wondered if that guy was supposed to be Captain Howdy. I suppose that lines up. But yeah, it seems like a little bit of a stretch, but that's the only thing I could come up with. I thought the same thing. I was like, what is the through line between these things? <laughs> Other than they sound awesome together. And you know? it gave us the movie D. Snyder's Strange Land. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, say what you want about D. Snyder, but uh, the guy's written movies and he's written a song for Celine Dion and he's written, you know. Versatile. Yeah, he's very versatile. And he's, he's anything he's done, he's been very good at, you know, so, yep. which I think is cool. There is no way around that. Yeah. I have this weird thing. This is way a sideline, um, so I don't want to go too far down this. But I have the same feeling about Vanilla Ice. <laughs> well, you know. I don't really care for Vanilla Ice. Uh, as no, a, as but that doesn't mean he hasn't but made something his, for himself, You look right? at the list of things the guy's done, and it's just it's pretty impressive. But, yeah, anyway, the hidden D. Snyder Vanilla Ice connection. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it um, here her first, folks. <laughs> yeah, I think this might be the most metal song on the album. I, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, there's definite horror vibes here. Um, it starts with the psycho strings, you know, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, and the movie Strangeland that you mentioned, uh, that the D. Snyder plays the character Captain Howdy in that movie. Um, so that's that's kind of creepy, but it's also like cool that he's you know he's playing the character. Um, I think that the street justice segment would probably also piss off the PMRC. Uh, because it's basically advocating for organized vigilantes, you know, because they're talking about how, like, you know, the judge is, like, you know, drunk. and like, I think maybe that it just shows more that, that uh, they didn't put a lot of very thorough, um, you know, they were outraged right. and they. Right. They, but they weren't sure, sure why specifically. No. They didn't really listen to the lyrics or anything. They were just, you know. You're you're saying that people shouldn't take it anymore, and I think they should. <laughs> I mean, like, well, because you know, one of the other things on the Filthy Fifteen list was fucking um, Motley Crue's "Bastard," which isn't. Oh, really? Uh, I mean, when you really get down to it, the, it's not. I don't know. It, I, I just don't get what's so offensive about the right. song, other than a word that they're saying that somebody right. might take issue with. Right. I think it just made um, them feel bad. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, and then after that, we get, I want to rock. So beginning kinda, of side two, beginning of side for two. those of us who had to stand up and walk over to something. And yeah, we, <laughs> that's a great, you know, horror Terry is a great way to end. Hell yes, side it one, is. And I want to rock tell is a great this sequenced way. for an LP. Yeah. 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 So I want to rock is awesome. The song, uh, I thought the song came in extra loud, which I thought might be a product of the mastering or something. I, I um, think compared to some of the other songs, yeah, it might have a little bit extra, extra push. Yeah, it seems like extra oomph behind it. Um, and I was thinking about, you know, I watched the videos for both, um, we're not going to take it and I want to rock mostly for nostalgic purposes sure. and stuff. But, uh, um, I, I like how both of the videos have that question. What do you want to do with your life is how they, they start out. And then, and then the answer is the same. Yeah, I want to rock. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, keeping your yeah. desires simple is not the worst right. thing. Yeah. And, and I like it that they've made a, they have a statement of principles here that rocking is very important. And, I, and, and this I, is I actually another song that highlights <laughs> that I am not a huge Tom Worman fan. Cause like, yeah. uh, 
it, it has the potential to be so you know it's it's, it's well constructed. I don't like like the way the the backing vocals. Yeah. When they come, when the no comes in, I don't yeah. like how it's mixed. I mean, this is just me personally, my taste. But yeah, and then yeah. like, you know, those guitars are pretty tough, but they sound so like polishy and right. They do. Yeah, if you, you can if hear this was like like if you went to see this band live playing these songs, yeah. they would be like real fucking raw and rocking, right. and right. they just sound so sanded down. Right, which doesn't sound like I want to rock at all. No, <laughs> it should sound really extra rocking. If you you know prove it to me, do you so really once again, to? while I may not have been a huge fan yeah. of that, still yeah. hungry, I get why they did it. <laughs> Uh, and I liked, I'd forgotten how the video uh, featured an Animal House reunion with Niedermeyer and Flounder. <laughs> That's right. And, and Flounder is the principal, like, uh, and Niedermeyer is like the, the oppressive teacher. Um, and in the He's end, the he, Niedermeyer. Yeah, he goes stumbling into the principal's <laughs> office and Flounder turns around and squirts him. <laughs> you know? uh. um, and the teacher, the Niedermeyer teacher in that video, he tries to blow up the band. With a grenade and with dynamite. And so I thought that was kind of weird how this this video is cited as violence against teachers. It's the teacher that's committing the violence. Sure was. Yeah. Which which so that's an interesting take on that. Um It's yeah. kind of funny how they didn't think to blame Wiley Coyote for any of that. <laughs> right. <laughs> which would have been much, <laughs> right? much closer to the truth because you know, I'm just saying exposure to dynamite in yeah. my life was been much greater in the presence of Wiley Coyote than not. Yeah. yeah. And, and both these videos have kind of a Looney Tunes vibe to them, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we've got The Price, which is uh, it's another anthemic tune. Um, this is probably the closest to a ballad. That they uh, my have. nose is the same thing. Okay. It's, it's, it's like a ballad pacing, but it's not really a ballad. Yeah. Um, and I think it's probably, I mean, now he's a great singer on the whole record, but yeah. like that, his singing on here particularly is really, you know, it's like, yeah. do we ever talk about how great of a singer this guy actually is? Because like, yeah. listen to this this song right here, really highlights, that guy's great. He really mm-hmm. does have good pipes, you know. Um, again, he's really good at everything he does. It's it's kind of weird. And it was my first note of, uh, my first note of, um, Wow, I'm I I am uh, into the second song on the second side, and it's just now occurring to me that there's not like a whole lot of uh, songs about chicks on here. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was yeah. in none. But. Yeah. yeah, and and I it, I thought you know lyrically this song is kind of a bummer after all the motivational stuff. It's like it D- is. D. Snyder's questioning whether it's like it's, is it worth it to carry on, and it's sort of like wow, that's you know after telling us that we're gonna not take it anymore and we're gonna it's rock one of the and, it's one of the few you know, uh, openly pessimistic songs. Right, yeah, yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting, um, and and I wondered if uh, maybe he's talking about the music industry or something. Maybe he's talking you have about, to you know, wonder. You know, is it worth it to carry on? And it's like you know you pay the price and, when you think about you know, that they're a band who slugged it out for how many years before yeah. they made it big. Right. Yeah. It all it tracks right. Yeah. Yeah, it feels more like philosophical and heavier than that to me, but I couldn't come up with anything more than that. Um, the guitar solo has a classical feel to it, um, and and I found myself wishing that, like in an alternate universe, Randy Rhodes could have had a stab at this solo and what he would have done with it, because I thought that would have been I don't know I thought that might have sounded really cool. Um, then we've got "Don't Let Me Down." Um, yeah, this- I thought this was about as close to a lovish song as it got. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I guess That's true. It doesn't exactly, you know, we're not given a very specific context for what's being said, right? But if you were to frame it as kind of ish a love song, yeah, it would, yeah, kind of track. Yeah, it would track. I think you're right. But you know, you could, 
you could reframe this song so many ways and probably have it work out for what you're shooting for. Right. I don't know. That's, that's yeah. my take on it. I, th- yeah. I thought it kind of seemed like as close as they got to a love song. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's about trust. You know, it's like, you know, yeah. don't let me down. I trust you. And like, you know, and you know, all that stuff. Um, yeah. It's very galloping. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of got Iron Maiden vibes. Yeah. It's got an Iron Maiden gallop. Once again, like, yeah, so much of the record is like so much tougher, you know, like musically uh, than than the big tunes. Yeah. And it's and but they're all have that anthemic thing going. Yeah. So, yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. Everybody should listen to this beyond the big songs. Everybody, even the people who aren't listening to this podcast. You just hear hear my thought waves hitting you now. I'm sending psychic thought waves. Yeah, and there's a pretty cool breakdown in the middle of the tune with like I thought I like this. There's a staggered drum thing. Um, let me let me. I'm just gonna play it. Oh, nice. sort of like just noticing now like you know you can hear the back and forth lead guitar playing and like where it j- jumps from ear to ear again so <laughs> yeah and in a lot of the 80s bands you had the lead guitar player yeah and the rhythm guitar player yep um so hey right on yeah, yeah. they're sharing they're, they're taking right. turns um i thought this song was uh I, I, well, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself now i'm looking ahead at, at the beast and, <laughs> um and, and the beast i kind of thought was a mashup of Ozzy and Iron Maiden in a way. Which is funny because my comment was, is this like a lost Dio song? <laughs> yeah, yeah, same ballpark, I, kinda, I, I, would I say. thought it had like a Dio vibe. It's like oddly um, kind of kind of doomy for yeah. for for uh, for these guys, you know? Yeah. I dig it. Yeah, me too. And, and it seems to be about like not messing with something because of its nature. It's like if you like you know mess with a predator, you're just you're just asking for it. You know, don't mess with the beast kind of a thing. Um, I kind of thought of it as like a character song, kind of uh-huh. you know, because there's there, there's some of that. It feels like on this album, they kind of have yeah. like songs that are like the character people, you know, Catherine Howdy and all that, and uh, yeah. even like I would say like uh, Burn in Hell is kind of like a character oh, yeah. song, you know, uh, yeah. the the evil narrate and yeah, you know. So, I hadn't even thought about that from a character perspective. You're right, though. But yeah, a lot of these feel like character songs to me, and it, yeah. I I dig it because he's really good at approaching yeah. things that way. As far as I can, you know, as far as I judge it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it seems to be like res- the respect for nature. I think in a way, you know. Um, there's another line in here that I thought would that spoke to uh, D. Snyder's like like Christian background because it stops at one moment in the middle of things and he says, "Just listen to the priest." Oh. And, and so I kind of wondered, you know, which well, the reason that stuck out to me wasn't so much because of the religious stuff. It was because of, you know, everything else he's saying, like, you know, you know, 
we're not going to take it and don't listen to authority and all that stuff. And he says, but, but just listen to the priest. <laughs> but maybe he was, maybe he's a big fan of the album stained class. And he was talking that about Judas be. priest. Just go listen to the, yeah. Go listen to the Judas. I, priest. I would like, tell I, somebody to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I do that myself. I would ask other people to listen to Judas priest. I think that's fair. <laughs> Uh, and then we're on the last song on the album, SMF. Um, it spawned a fan club. It did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it stands for Sick Motherfucker. Um, in 1985, Dee Snyder revealed to Congress that the band's fan club was called SMF Fans of Twisted Sister. Um, along along with what the meaning was. You know, he, he had to say, oh, they, they asked him, what does SMF stand for? And he said, sick motherfucker. And then Tipper Gore asked Dee Snyder if it was, is that a Christian group? Sick, you know, like trying to make fun of him a little bit, sick motherfucker. And Dee Snyder responded, I do not believe profanity has anything to do with Christianity. <laughs> Which I just thought was like, boom, you know, he, he's not playing around. Nah, he showed uh, up prepared. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really like the line in this song, uh, you're a walking wonder, you're a metal machine. And just like that's, I don't know. There's something about that that's just like sort of like it fits right in with the cool like mythos of cool metal lines, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, anyway, that that brings us up to our vinyl history lesson. Well, <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, it primarily came out on vinyl and cassette in 1984 because that would have just been the time. Yeah. If, uh, and I mean, there's tons of pressings all over the world, uh, tons of American pressings. I haven't even okay. actually sourced mine yet because I'm not that far in my Discogs cataloging of my okay. personal collection. But uh, yeah, not uh, up to tea. No, I'm not up to tea. <laughs> I'm still in the I'm still in the L. <laughs> yeah, I got a ways to go. Uh, friend did come over and help me catalog some the other night. Shout out to Matt. Um, but uh, I did notice it first came out on CD in 1985, so a year after it originally came out. And I actually have a friend who has one of those 1985 CDs of the album. Mm. It sounds terrible. Um, <laughs> and then it, it goes away for a long time. It lapses out of print in the U.S. after 1985 until 1990. And it was just uh, uh, Columbia House made mm. a pressing of it. And that was that. Okay. And then it lapses again. Uh, there's a couple pressings. There's like it, it was mostly just CDs after 1985. Um, that tracks, yeah. Because, yeah, it was just sort of the time. And, of course, you know, by 90-something when CDs are the medium, there's just less – there was less call for Stay Hungry. But mm -hmm. then they did a big uh, 25th anniversary uh, reissue in 2009 that was two CDs and it had a second disc of, like, all these demos that they found that they didn't re uh, remember that they had. And uh, they did a thing on the uh, – Oh, wow, there's a Mobile Fidelity Sound Lab pressing of Stay Hungry also. Oh, so if wow. you would like to spend a lot of money for it, yeah. I bet you it can sounds do good. that. And it was kind of <laughs> cool with the um, with the 25th anniversary edition. If you bought it from an independent retailer, it came with a free DVD in it of this uh, performance they did in like 1985 on MTV. Oh, cool. 
uh, yeah. And JJ French said something about it because he was like, you know, everybody else is cutting deals with Target and Walmart um, exclusive. And he goes, we we did a deal with independent retailers because, you know, they were one of the people who stocked our records back in the day. So, yeah, that's some love back. Right on. That's, very, that's cool. very cool. But yeah, it, it, it has been reissued in the last six years. It's been reissued on vinyl a whole bunch. And oh, there's wow. there's been no CD issues in the last 10 years. It's all been vinyl. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, a company called Music on Vinyl uh, in Europe. They've made three pressings, and that's always been a pretty good company. I've got a number okay. of MOV pressings, and they're awesome. And then uh, Atlantic uh, just did a pink vinyl pressing of Stay Hungry that came out this year. Wow, a pink so, pressing. That'd be cool. Yeah, so y'all can go uh, help out Twisted Sister and grab a copy. Yeah. I might just do that, too. Because, <laughs> I mean, yeah, mine's an old copy, and it's not the best pressing in the world. I can only, I can only imagine they've done better since then. Yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty much the history lesson on it. Okay. And now we've, we've got Gear Talk. Talk! <laughs> uh, I found uh, just, I found an interview with JJ France and Eddie Ojeda, I think is his, how you pronounce his name. If that's not right, I'm, I apologize. Um, so I thought I would just read what they were, they were asked specifically, what were you playing during Stay Hungry when you recorded it? Um, so I'm just going to read the responses. Uh, J.J. French says, I used a 78 Gibson Les Paul that had been painted pink by a local luthier named Steve Carr, who's not the same guy that did car amps. Um, it weighed about 11 pounds, more a weapon than an instrument, but it was my main guitar. Also, I had an Ibanez Destroyer repainted by Steve. Those had been my main guitars for years, and both had DiMarzio Super Distortion pickups. So that's what JJ played. And Eddie Ojeda says, I played mostly my Charvels, the 83 Bullseye guitar that was one of the first made by Grover Jackson, and the Twisted Sister logo guitar. I got the Bullseye in a music store called Grayson's on Long Island. The guy said, hey, there's this company in Los Angeles making custom guitars. So I asked for something with pink and black circles. I wasn't expecting a bullseye, and I wasn't sure how much I liked it at first. But I loved the way it played and sounded, and it became part of who I am. Um, and there's a little bit of, uh, I found a little bit of back and forth about um, how people think that maybe Zach Wilde was influenced by Twisted Sister because of the bullseye guitar. Well, he did. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. one of his little trademark symbols. I yeah. suppose that tracks. Uh, but he was asked about it. And he, he says that when he asked for his Les Paul, he asked for it to have like uh, the vertigo symbol on it. Oh, and they weren't, and apparently, what he thought. So it was a mistake from his point of view. And but then he thought, well, it's a nice guitar. I'll, I'll just keep playing it. So sweet. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think he really had much to do with the design of it. And but um, JJ French has a huge guitar collection, uh, including a '52 Les Paul gold top, '57 uh, gold top standard, and he has a bunch of custom models built for him with Twisted Sister graphics on them and stuff. He has uh, he has his own website, which I, I found these pictures of, like, you know, he has pictures of his guitar collection on there. Um, he buys and sells tons of them. He's really into, like, you know, different effects and things like that. I mean, he's he's always, like, he seems like a collector, you know. I didn't realize he was so, you know, had so much more. I mean, every, you know, a yeah. lot of the big guitar players, they got their guitar collections. I guess I didn't realize that right. his was that big. That's awesome. Yeah. That's Hey. Yeah, I kind of I get the impression just from his website, and I'm just shooting from the hip here. Uh, the impression I had was that you know he he's like this businessman mostly now, but he really you know guitar playing got him where he's at, and so he's still like you know for the fun of it collects guitars, and I'm sure he still Why plays not? and stuff. Oh, I but, guarantee you know, he probably still. Yeah, yeah, but I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. But well, yeah, all right. 
Well, I think that that wraps up Stay Hungry, unless you had anything else. No, I'm pretty sure that covers okay. it. It was super fun to, to, to talk about. I was glad yeah. we uh, finally pulled out and listened to it again. I had I know, a great time too. with it. Mm-hmm. Everybody yeah. pull out your copy of Stay Hungry and rock out to it again. Yeah. I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably already have it, I'm guessing. Right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, yeah, enjoy it. <laughs> all right, we'll catch you all laters. All right, see you later. Mm-hmm.